Hey everyone, thanks for joining. Uh, today I'm speaking with Courtney Jones. Courtney is a teacher and she started a movement called Support a Teacher. You can find her at supportateach.com and she started that July 1st of this year and there's also a hashtag that goes with it called Clear the Lists. And I mean, from what I see, it's to help teachers get supplies and anything they might need for their classrooms. Hi Courtney, thank you for coming on and if you want to tell, talk a little bit about this, how you started it, about yourself. Sure. Hi. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me too. Um, so yeah, so I am a teacher, um, in Texas and I was gearing up for the new school year, getting ready to, um, buy some supplies for my classroom and my kiddos. And I was searching on the web, trying to find, you know, things that would help me do that where I didn't have to spend so much out of pocket. And I came across, um, you know, some similar ideas and I thought, okay, I could do this for education and I could make it, um, really great. And I think that I have the skills to lay the infrastructure. Um, and at that time, I'm thinking maybe a thousand people max. Uh, I never dreamt that it would ever get to the size that it is. But um, yeah, so I created it on July 1st. I created a um, closed Facebook group and that's called Support a Teacher, Clear the List. And we have um, uh, in that main group, we had, I think, almost 30,000 people in three weeks everybody was just like inviting everyone they knew every teacher they knew and at that time I realized that this was a lot bigger than just teachers gifting to other teachers and spreading motivation and advice and um, little inspirational things and so I created a live video on Facebook and a Facebook event and said, hey, guys, we're going to Twitter um, because we have a story to tell. And this is obviously an issue that's pervasive across the country. And so we did um, hashtag clear the list was trending the first four days. Then there were also like spinoffs for each state and some of the states were trending um, clear the list, Florida, clear the list, Pennsylvania, Texas. And yeah, I mean, it just it really blew up. So um, right now we're two and a half months in and we have over 200,000 teachers um, and donors involved across all social media. We have raised um, over $100,000. Um, it's really hard to see exactly how much money is being spent because teachers and donors are just buying right off wish lists and not through an entity that I have. Um, so it's hard to keep up with some metrics, but it's been unbelievably successful and teachers are feeling um, empowered and uplifted and they're getting some things for their classrooms and their students. So it's really just a win-win all the way around. Yeah, I mean, okay, I saw this. A friend of mine, uh, someone who I met on Twitter, like I uh, got connected through on Twitter. I mean, he was doing this and I, he'd mentioned it. I saw him doing it. And then I started looking into it and it, okay, I mean, it's great. Like people are helping out and I think it's awesome. You know, we, teachers need a lot more help than I think, you know, we're giving them. And I remember, okay, I'm, I'm pushing 50. I remember when I was, you know, in school, like even back then in the seventies, the teachers would, but back then it was a little smaller things like, okay, so you can't get, you know, gold stickers or little stickers that like, you know, with, you know, way to go or good job or whatever. You can't get right. those. So you have to go buy those specially. It was things like that. It wasn't, a, but they were still spending money out of pocket. So, I mean, I know this has been going on for a while, but I started looking at these lists and I mean, there's teachers with pencil sharpeners on there. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, have we gotten to a point where we can't put pencil sharpeners in classrooms? Right, exactly. Um, when I got into my new classroom um, last year, there wasn't a pencil sharpener. Um, there was a mechanical one, but 
as anyone knows, uh, that is really slow and really loud. <laughs> yep. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I've told everyone, all the press and um, all my followers that, yes, this is a, a great uplifting um, pay it forward initiative, but it comes out of frustration that, you know, this move, I, I've said it everywhere that I can, this movement should not exist. This shouldn't be a thing. Um, I'm glad it is in some ways because it really is bonding the teacher community really globally. I've done some Canadian um, press and uh, some, uh, I know we have teachers from Mexico and the UK. So there really are teachers all across the world um, participating. It's just obviously localized in the US. But I mean, we've bonded together and none of us really know each other, um, but we're all like supporting each other and we all act like we're just like great friends now and we know we have a good support system to fall back on. Yeah, I mean, again, like I, I'm always a huge pro a proponent of education. I've always you know, tried to say, you know, like that's the one thing if we can sort out, get that and so much other stuff will get, um, get straightened out. Right. Uh, and okay, I'm looking at this from the outside and this might be a little bit beyond your scope, but you know, I you hear a lot centered around college, and I mean, and I, again, don't get me wrong, I think college is great. Get an education if that's what you want, if that's what's going to benefit you, right? But you know, they're talking, it's and again, it's a problem. All you know, marginalized communities can't get in. So I, I just remember it seems something in Australia recently, or maybe it was New Zealand. They're like, okay, we're going to accept women into engineering with twenty percent less or something like that. I'm like. Okay, that doesn't benefit anyone. Yeah. You know, and so even here, I, I mean, I get the fact that you're get, you have kids coming in from schools from poor neighborhoods who don't have all the advantages that people from, you know, more affluent neighborhoods can can get. But I'm, okay, that's one problem to fix. But when you get people coming into college and they're not quite prepared and you let them come into a, you know, they might love the STEM fields and they might want to go into that and they're, they've got an aptitude and they they're intelligent, they're talented, but they just haven't been prepared enough. So they get in, they do poorly, and they drop out. You know, while you're fixing the things at the primary and the secondary level, you know, instead of something like that in college, wouldn't it be better to say, okay, you've been accepted at University X, you need to do some preparatory work, go to a community college near you for the first year. If you can maintain a B average, you're guaranteed a spot the following year. I, yes. So you mean like people who um, just need like maybe didn't have like the passing grades or um, I guess what would be your criteria? No, I, I'm, I'm, no OK, like let's say it's say, OK, so okay, I'm going to bring the Harvard thing into account because that was a lot of there was a lot of press on it. So okay. Asian students were being penalized uh, points on their SAT scores and African-American students were given points on their SAT scores so that you can there were fewer so they can have fewer Asians coming in and more African Americans coming in right now instead of right. giving them that 200 point bonus and bringing them in that year where they might not do as well why not say okay you're guaranteed a spot in the following year we think you're good enough we think you have the aptitude we think you'd be you know a, a, an asset to Harvard spend a year at a community college near you take these courses prepare yourself and maintain a B average and you're guaranteed a spot I mean, and then that person's better prepared and they know that they're going to school. Yes, it takes a year longer, but, you know, wouldn't it be better to be better prepared? It's not a perfect solution, but it's better than just letting them in and failing. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm, to be honest with you, I'm not hugely up to date on um, what's happening in universities just because I am centered around primary and secondary. But um, I will say that um, I do agree with you to an extent. So like I, um, I don't understand why we would um, curve something for anyone. Um, I'm a female and I am um, really masculine, um, if you will, like in my, um, like personality. So growing up, I wanted to play football with the boys. Um, I wrote a petition to my district for me to um, be able to play. And they said it was too much of a safety concern, um, to let a girl play. Uh, since then they've changed that, but I, I'm always been the one that don't hire me. Don't let me play because I'm the girl like, Oh, here's Courtney, the one playing with the boys. No, let me try out just like every boy on the team. And let me see if I can make it. If I can, then I can, if I can't, I can't. Um, but I'm going to work my ass off to be able to be just as good as if not better than. Um, so I think that, you know, that mindset kind of relates to what you're talking about is, we, we as a society and we as humans should really um, rely on our intellect and our abilities um, to get us what we need to do, you know, or to go where we need to go. Um, but that, that isn't to say that there are so many communities that are at such a disadvantage that I think that you, you might have um, a point. I, I'm, it's hard for me to, you know, roll it around in my brain because I haven't thought about it a whole lot. But um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think that we should be just really looking at the ability of people rather than um, making sure we have a certain percentage of a certain demographic. Okay, yeah. Okay, with that, I, I agree with you 100%. Like, uh, you know, I'm a visible minority. I don't want a job because I'm brown. I don't want a promotion because I'm brown. I want it right. on my merits. If I don't merit it, I don't want it. And like what I was suggesting here was, First of all, okay, we have to take a look at what's going on at the primary level, and that's got to be that's got to be worked on. But if you start working on that now, the people who are graduating today, that doesn't help them, right? So I think the two things have to kind of work together, like the two solutions. But yeah. the solution for the university should be one that's set up so that if you can fix some of the problems in primary and secondary education, you don't need that other solution for the universities, right? That should just be a stopgap measure until you can fix the feeder system that comes into it. Right. And the problem is that the feeder system is broken in so many ways, which is why the initiative that I created even exists, because we're literally teachers are crowdsourcing to provide paper and pencils for their students. Um, so there's obviously a lot that is wrong with the education system. There's um, also a lot that we get right. Um, and so it really I. I wish it was a simple fix, but I completely agree with you that if we can start from the bottom up, that we would really um, curtail a lot of the issues that are at the university system now, and we'd be better preparing students for that. Um, my first thought that really comes to mind, um, thinking of how to fix the the feeder system, the primary and secondary, is to really take a look at high stakes testing. Um, it completely robs teachers and students uh, the ability to um, really think critically and get a fair education. We're teaching so much towards um, a test that they have to take. At, at least in Texas, it's hit really hard. Um, everything is about the star test. Um, and so it's like, 
it, it just keeps like spiraling out of control. So we have to look at high stakes testing, which we put so much emphasis um, on the student that mental health um, is raising in some of our students. There's anxiety out the wazoo. Teachers are feeling anxiety because they feel like their jobs depend on it. And then, you know, you just literally it's just like layer after layer after layer that it's like there's so many issues to fix that we do have to start at the bottom and rework it and think about what is our real intention? Is it to show that our students can pass a test? Is that what shows true um, intellect or that they learn something? Or is it their ability to think critically and, um, you know, present an argument and to read fluently? You know, what are we measuring here? Yeah. Okay. Uh, actually, thank you for bringing me back because I did want to come back to that. I, I only brought, I only went on that tangent about the university because I wanted to kind of focus on what you're talking about now. Like we yeah, have yeah. to, we have to fix what's going on at the start because I mean, if you wait until someone's 18 years old, it's a little too late. Uh, right. And yeah, I mean, that's, I have a couple of friends who are in uh, ones, she's in um, daycare and primary, like, you know, like pre-K and stuff like that. Right. And then I have a couple of friends who do kindergarten to um, grade three. Okay. And, you know, and they bring up a lot of things and, um, you know, I mean, they're like, okay, sometimes we're, and I think in Canada it might be a little different than the States. I don't know, you know, I don't know much about either system, but, you know, they're tied up with a lot of bureaucracy. Um, I mean, I think, the, I think the government here has a lot more control on the, the system than they do in the States. I think in the States you have a little bit more freedom than they do here. Um, I mm-hmm. could be wrong, but yeah. So, she, I mean, she complains about that and, you know, there's a couple others that, you know, they'll complain about you know, we're given a certain curriculum and you're not allowed veering outside of it. And again, right. the testing thing, like, okay, you know, they're like the, one of them is a science teacher and she's upset about the fact that, okay, it's granted it's, it's not really science per se. I mean, it's, it's, you know, like, I, like, I remember when I was a kid, like we, you know, like, okay, look at leaves and stuff like that. It wasn't anything, you know, you're not doing anything too heavy. Mm-hmm. They're really young, but still so that it's all I'm teaching them is facts. I'm not teaching them how, you know, like, why is the sky blue? Well, the sky is blue because of this, and that's it. There's no other further, uh, you know, discussion. There's right. no why did that happen? You know, what would have happened if, like, you know, if you look at the sky at a sunset, it's a different color than if you look at it at noon, right? Things like that. Right, right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, they're they're feeling frustrated because of a forced curriculum, and I mean, I I don't know, is it because of all these you know measures? Oh, if you look at this standard. Um, you know, the U.S. falls in on this number in literacy and, you know, this number in math. Like, are right. they just so... I understand you need exams. I mean, you need final exams. You need some sort of examination. You need some way of measuring that. Right. But, like, a test every week or a test, you know... Like, I, I don't understand. Like, I've heard about that. And I, like, where did this come from? Or do you know? Or Yeah, so um, I don't know exactly where it comes from, like, from the very top. But I do know that, um, like, in Texas, so we have what's called the star test and um, it's designed they like in fourth grade, it depends on what grade you're in, how many you take, but in fourth grade they have four or three, I'm sorry. They have a math, a reading and a writing star test. And um, it's, it's incredible. Like, so, and we're given standards that we have to teach and we're told, you know, like I'm going into a multiplication unit and I'm told, um, you know, I have to be able to teach it the standard algorithm. I have to teach it through, um, strip diagrams. I have to teach it through a ray model. And it's just like, I have to teach it all of these ways, um, which is great. And it, and it, it's a lot of people misunderstand why we teach it in so many ways, but it really does allow a student to realize that math is a way of thinking and it's not just computing. 
Um, so I think that, that that's great in that stance. But I, I completely agree with your friend um, who teaches science. The, the whole reason I actually got into education was because I wrote a research paper in college on um, science uh, education in uh, K through five. And I realized that it's absolutely like um, like just it's like the I don't know. It's like they put it on the back burner because of high stakes testing, because in um, Texas, you don't get tested until fifth grade for science. So we spend all of our time in um, especially third and fourth grade. We we take away science time, especially when it gets close to um, test time. And we start um, implementing more math and more reading and more writing. And we're not actually focusing on that critical thinking or, you know, what do you wonder about? Like, I, you know, you don't, you lose that time to ask your kids, like, what do you wonder about? You know, like, just what do you, what's a question that you have? Let's research it. Let's figure it out. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not saying it should all be free form. You know, we, like you said, we have to have ways of measuring. We have to know that teachers are doing their jobs and kids are learning. But to what um, extent? And um, I think that we really, we really are doing like a disservice to so many of our students by not having, like, I think that there should be a critical thinking class in elementary school from kindergarten up, like how to think, like actually physically teaching kids how to think. Because I think we... We teach them so much um, of the facts and of the things that they have to regurgitate on a test that oftentimes we aren't able to explore um, deeper and the students aren't able to explore deeper. And um, I think that, that that's really um, an issue that we have. Yeah, okay. I mean, like, okay, I'll just, on my end, like I was always a little curious kid. I mean, I, I used to drive my parents crazy, I think. <laughs> I mean, I'll just give you an example. My dad... My dad, like, I was born in India, lived there till I was six, and my dad used to, you know, my dad grew up there, he used to hunt, and when we, when we were living here, after we moved, you know, he's telling us stories about when he's going out, and, you know, he's telling, talking, telling one story about driving in the, you know, in the forest, and it's this really rocky road, and he said all the rocks were roughly about, you know, this size, saying they're all about the same, and it was really bouncy, and I was maybe seven or eight, and I was just like, well, if they're all the same size, wouldn't it be a smooth ride? I mean, he's looking at me like, come yeah. on, you know, come on, kid. I'm just trying to tell you a story. Like, relax. <laughs> you know. But okay, I saw the original Cosmos when it came out. I was 11 years old, I think, or, yeah. or between 10 and 11. And then, I mean, the way Sagan talked about it, I could understand it at 10. Or, you know, like I said, I was almost 11. I could understand it then. And he didn't give you facts. He gave you some, but he talked more about curiosity. And that, for me, that was the spark. And right. I, I fell in love with science. Um, I unfortunately got dis- disillusioned in university, but I mean, I like, there's a couple of books I've gotten for my, uh, niece, niece and nephew, um, like the Annika Harris book. I wonder. Oh yes. Yes. Okay. I mean, that, that's excellent. Um, from, uh, for my nephew, you, I got him as well. Um, I was really lucky cause I happened to be at a conference where Richard Dawkins was and I bought a, a copy of the, you know, the magic of reality. And I got professor Dawkins assigned it for my nephew. So he's got that, um, you know, like. I don't know why that those kind of books aren't part of the curriculum for science for the little yeah. kids. Yeah. Well, uh, here in the States, a lot of what we battle is um, it's, it's so political. And so for science education in particular, I mean, we still have legislation in different states that um, will fight evolution being taught in high school. So, I mean, like it's it's 
uh, it's almost unheard of to bring in books, you know, that focus <laughs> on that um, at a younger level because we're barely, you know, I mean, some districts are really good about it and some states are really good about it. You know, obviously the more progressive ones usually. Um, but yeah, I mean, I still see stuff in the news about, um, you know, evolution being questioned and should we teach evolution and um creationism or whatever it is and so it's like yeah i i I actually have um annika harris's um i wonder book and i think it's great because it is just about pondering and um i actually have some children's books on sagan too he's my absolute favorite and the demon haunted world is in my top five books i've ever read in my entire life um so, yeah, I mean, I wish that there was um, a way and, and in private schools and charter schools, obviously, they have way more leeway than, um, you know, complete public schools. So um, I don't know, you know, it, it's just it is that's just another issue that we really have to um, talk about and take seriously. And that's that's why I entered in education. I was like, oh, well, I'm going to change it. You know, I'm going to do something. And um you know, and I feel like I did for the kids that I had when I taught science, and now I'm not teaching it, um, not for my own choice, but um, I just am in a different role this year. So I, I'm in complete agreement with you. I wish that, um, you know, that there was more time to, like, logic puzzles, and um, I, I teach gifted and talented, and we are literally, our unit this um, six weeks is critical thinking. And it's the favorite, it's my favorite part of my day because it's literally just wondering and it's learning, teaching, you know, eight to 10 year olds, what's the difference between a belief and a claim? What is evidence? What's a conclusion? And they're understanding and they're able to actually put together um, their own thoughts about it. And then they can take that with them and the ability to think critically to all their classrooms um, and, and excel, I think, better. Oh yeah, I mean, no. If, if you have that critical thinking, like again, I've, you know, the way Sagan laid it out to me, that's kind of, and you know, that's that's kind of how I've tried to follow through it. I fail yeah. miserably sometimes, but you know, we're all human. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. I mean, that's like kind of just sticking with this. It's just because I, this is one of my big things, right? I I don't um, like I see it. I see it. My nephew, really, really bright kid. And you know, I'm not just saying this because of his uncle, but he, he was—he started reading the Lord of the Rings when he was ten. Wow! And he could, you know, in certain aspects, he's—he's he's not taught that critical thinking. Like I've seen him try to navigate, like spatially, like okay, he's—he's got—he's yeah. got to get somewhere, and there's a stack of pallets with you know uh, stacks of bottles of like Pepsi and Coke and stuff on them, and he's got to get to the other side, and he's. He's like wanting to walk right through them, and I'm just looking at him like, "What are you thinking?" And, and like I said, this kid is smart. He's really intelligent. He can, he, you know, he speaks well. And granted, like I said, I'm you know a bit biased. It is my nephew, but <laughs> you know, you should be able to figure out that you can walk around them, not go straight through them. Right, like, right. You know, something like that shocks me. Yeah, like, right, where it's it's so like point A to point B, and yeah. you're done. Um, yeah. And there's no just like brewing of an idea inside your mind. Yeah. Yeah, okay, there's something I wanted to ask just because I don't know and it's something that I work in IT, so I used to um the I like I'm in Montreal now, but up until uh, I was up in northern Canada setting up uh, I was managing internet services for remote Inuit communities and then before that I used to set up um communication systems for the military. So, I look at um a friend of mine had had, had put it to me this way. You know, they keep talking about how this, you know, generation now, especially, you know, kids today, they're very very tech savvy. 
And the way he, he explained it to me, the way he said, look, you look at it this way, they're tech literate. You know, uh, yeah. uh, sorry, they're tech fluent, but they're not tech literate. Like I was born in India. I can speak Urdu. I can't read it and write it. I'm fluent speaking it, but I'm not literate. He goes, you know, we start to start have to giving them more tech literacy, like know what's going on in the background. So if you start using right. Google and you do a search, depending on what you select, it'll start giving you what it thinks you want instead of what you need, right? Like I, like I remember right, okay, learning, right. the, learning the Dewey Decimal System, like going to the card catalog in the library. How do you do research? How do you do that? But now with Google, you, I mean, they must have so much information and like, teaching them to parse that must be such a nightmare. Right, right. Yeah, um, I, I agree. And I know that there's, I can't speak for all of education in the U.S., obviously, mm-hmm. but from just what I've seen, um, there's been a lot of push for STEM um, in the classrooms, which is really great, but it um, it's only solving part of the problem, I think. Um, and I think that brings up a really good point that we're, these kids know how to use it, they know how to navigate it, but do they understand the, the background, what's actually happening. Um, I actually do a coding unit with my um, gifted kiddos, which is really cool. We use uh, some Lego education. They're um, called WeDo's. And they actually build, um, they go through an app and they actually build like a creature or a rover or something. And then there's a Bluetooth mechanism where the iPad connects and they can actually code it to like move around the table or spin in a circle, whatever it's doing. And so it's and, and it's all based on, like, solving a problem, right? So, um, you know, one is, like, going to Mars, and so they can create and code this rover to be able to figure out if life could survive there. And so um, I, I know that there are pushes, but it's all extracurricular, and there's not a lot of time um, with high-stakes testing to bring in these, um, what I think most um most would say you're like extracurricular, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I, I get that. It's, I mean, even that too, like, okay, I don't know, again, uh, I have friends who have kids and stuff and, you know, hearing about them. There seems to be, okay, you've got extracurricular as in, okay, you've got um, sports teams and stuff like that. So there's organized stuff for kids. So they, you know, and I mean, I, that, I, have, I have an issue with all the organization, organized fun for kids, but there doesn't seem to be like, the you know av clubs or you know science clubs or you know yeah so i i know that a lot of that comes in at least um where i've seen or where i went to school here in texas um a lot of those clubs start coming in in like middle and high school um elementary schools uh don't usually have as many clubs and there's really not um too many classes that they could take or even the the space in their schedule to take them. Um, we do have what we call UIL, which is um, academic like competitions, basically. And so they study for a month or two, and they can compete in different areas, and they have to try out and make a team and um, all of that. So, I mean, there are some really good initiatives, and there's some good thinking, but then there's obviously, you know, some some issues we have to sort out. And I think you're right, starting from the ground up and, you know, solving. It's so layered, right? So, like, um, parents and, you know, um, how, or, like, poverty level. Like, we have to go and see, like, what um, area or what demographic our schools are in and where our kids coming from and how do we best meet their needs. Um, And then how do we build them to be successful? And, 
and that goes across you know all neighborhoods yeah okay i wanted to actually talk about this now, like what i don't know if you know or if you've got any idea like, i mean you've talked about the testing what metric would they use to say okay this is the standard that kids need to be at when they finish you know uh, okay, when they're get, getting out of grade three, they should be at this level, and then you know, getting out of grade six, they should be at this level. Like at least, but because it seems to me like those metrics are kind of all over the place. And I realize state to state, your your laws change and your regulations right. change. Same thing here in Canada, province to province. But because if those metrics aren't right, and if you're not setting a correct metric for that, then you're not giving everyone the equal opportunity that they need. And I mean, there's obviously going to be, there's always going to be some disparity. There's always going to be some more affluent neighborhoods that their parents will spend more money on their kids or private schools, or uh, I'm not quite sure what charter schools are, but that kind of stuff. But, you know, right. But at least there should be a baseline of, okay, it needs to be at least here. So that way everyone has an equal, you know, as equal an opportunity as possible. Yeah, so Texas, um, and I only really know Texas, and most states do this, um, but they give out a set of standards for each grade level, each subject. So in fourth grade, I have um, however many standards, like 30 things that I have to teach over the course of fourth grade. They give me a pacing guide, and the students have to master a certain amount of that on their test in um, May. So they'll take like what um, I was saying is called our STAR test, and that's our high stakes t- uh, our high stakes test. And um, actually, Texas is unique um, where, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm correct on this. Everyone has told me this, um, but I could be wrong. But Texas is unique that we don't actually get the passing standard, like the passing rate. Um, so like a percentage across the entire state until after all of the tests have been scored. So they actually, they score them all and then figure out where the baseline is and then they set the pass rate. So we don't actually know, we kind of go in, we have our standards, we know what we're supposed to teach, but we kind of go in blindly as teachers even, um, to knowing exactly what our students, um, have to do, how they, what they need to pass or anything like that. So it really is, um, it's it's a rough system here in Texas, um, and it and it's not set up best for um, real success. I think. Yeah. Okay. I mean, maybe I didn't explain because I like. I mean, I understand the testing, but what I'm trying to figure out is, okay, and I do, I think here you can't have a cookie cutter approach because it's never going to work. But okay, you know, this neighborhood, like this school is not deficient in the marks the kids are getting or not deficient in you know, how well uh-huh. they, but okay you know there this school needs uh, a better basketball court this school needs right. this this you know like there's got to be a way to address though because you know different neighborhoods and different communities across the united states I and mean, same thing in canada they're, they're so large and they're so you know uh, a farming community in the midwest is going to have different issues than a community in exactly you know urban you know, in downtown Manhattan, right? Right, right. So, I mean, like, there's got to be, like, some sort of, okay, all schools should have all these different things to this level, like this level of, you know, sporting equipment, this level of science equipment, this level of, you know, but each community is going to have a different issue to to have that to bear. Like, Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, and I know that there are some initiatives like in the U.S. We have what we call Title I schools, and those are schools that are more um, economically disadvantaged. If you have a certain percent, then you receive extra funding from the state. 
Um, and so uh, there are some things like that, but for the most part, like when it comes to testing, it's very cookie cutter. Um, and it's very like, you know, you have to meet this and you're going to be, you get compared to, um, schools, your size and, um, in your surrounding area, I believe, but that's more of like an administrative question. Um, we aren't privy to a lot of that information as teachers, but from what I know, like, they set, um, th- yeah, I mean, I agree with you that we should all work together to give an equal playing field for everyone to have equal opportunity to success. But um, I, I don't know enough to really talk on it yeah. um, past the testing. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, I you know, you, you're going to have to realize and you, you can't begrudge parents who have the means and say, okay, you know what, my kid goes to this school I've got money. I want to make sure that my kid has the best education. I'm going to spend some money on that school. You know, if everything else is equal and then some parents want to spend some extra money, you, you, you shouldn't begrudge them. I mean, Oh yeah. You, yeah. You, I you, can, you can envy it. Cause you know, uh, right. Right. But you, you know, but at the same point too, I think like, let's say there are parents who can afford to do stuff like that. And if the government say, okay, you know what, if you spend 5% or 10% or, you know, a small a percentage of whatever you're donating to your kid's school or your, schools in your community if you donate to communities you know that are in more need mm-hmm. you'll get you know instead of you know you can you can double the amount that you claim off your taxes or whatever give them a incentive to maybe give some money in the other direction as well i don't know um, yeah yeah i i don't know you know the financial like yeah. how to solve it but yeah i'm in agreement like i mean in in theory it sounds um great i just don't know like whose responsibility is it for your own kid you know so yeah. it's like are are we i don't i don't know well, okay you know like i said i'm i'm here i'm just kind of like it just my mind kind of wandered there and I was yeah just yeah for sure and i'm you know you know it was just a thought but i, I just I, just a question on because especially for uh younger kids i recently spoke with uh lenore skenazi she does uh let grow i don't know if you've okay. he- heard of that no, I haven't. Okay, so she started off with a blog called Free Range Kids, and then now she's got an organization called LetGrow.org. And basically, she started the blog because she, her, I can't remember if it was her son or daughter, was about 11 years old, and they took the subway in in Manhattan, in, in like Brooklyn or something like that, or Queens. And she wrote about the New York Times, and she got, a, she got a lot of vitriol, like, how dare you let your child alone on the subway at you know, like 11 years old or something like that. And I mean, I used to take the subway in Montreal when I was seven by myself. I mean, it was, I was a little young maybe, but you know, and then, so she started this thing and it's to give kids independence. So they have basically the schools can reach out to them and they give them little kits for projects to give to kids. And the projects are, are simple things like uh, for younger kids, it could be, okay, make toast in the morning, you know, on, on Saturday morning, when your parents are making breakfast, you make the toast and you butter it. Right. So it gives a kid a sense of independence or it's like, okay, go to the store, buy a quart of milk and come back home and get some change. And, you know, obviously they're not going to send a six year old to the store by themselves, but you know, like something like that, go to the corner store, you know, 10, 11 years old, go do something like that. So it's little projects to get kids, uh, get kids and parents used to seeing kids doing stuff kind of on their own. So you'll have like, 
you know, one school. So every kid in that neighborhood has that assignment for that week. So all the parents know about it. No one's really freaking out. You know, no one's like, oh, go call Child Protective Services because someone's letting their kid walk down the street by themselves or something like that. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought it was a great idea. I, I really liked what she was doing. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Um, and I think it's great, you know, I and and I really like well, like I really like the um, theory and um, kind of the framework around like what they call unschooling, where it's like um, you kind of take like a non-typical um, approach, I guess, if you will, and you literally like go, it's kind of like Montessori. I don't know if you know what that is, but like you you base a lot of it on what the kid is interested in, and then you formulate your lessons around that, and you let them explore, and there's not, like, set grades, like, nine-year-olds have to be in this grade, ten-year-olds have to be in that, it's not like that, they can, um, it's based on, like, their ability, and so that's really cool, too, and it's all, and, and it's kind of led by that independence, um, you know, uh, foundation, so I, I think that's really interesting what she's doing. Yeah, I mean, I can send you a link later if you want to check it out, and, you know, because they, they, they are, focused on schools and you know they'll they'll give the teachers all the kits and i mean obviously there's no supplies really but um you know they'll they'll give them all the information everything they need and they'll work with them yeah 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 yeah. send it to me and i'll definitely check it out i mean it sounds really really interesting yeah i know i mean like again this is for me it's okay i don't have kids uh you know i have a niece and a nephew i'm doing this and I, i have no problem admitting this i'm doing this for purely selfish reasons because the kids are going to be the ones who are making the policies when I'm collecting my pension. So I want to make sure they're right. educated so I can look after myself. Right. My money. No, but I mean, honestly, I think we do need to look at it in some ways that way. I'm like, oh, why should we, sp- I don't have kids. Why should I spend money on, on school taxes? You know, why should I spend money on that? It's like, well, even if you don't have kids, they're the ones that are going to write the laws when you're older. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And they're the ones that are, you know, they're going to be your doctors or taking care of your pets, you know, yep. as a vet or, you know, uh, yeah, I, I'm in complete agreement with you. I think that um, we have to look and then we have to. Like, yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm in complete agreement with you. I think that we have to, um, you know, set our kids up for and I don't have kids either personally, um, but we have to set up our kids to be the next politician, be the next president, be the next nurse, be the next doctor, be the next, um, you know, fast food worker. Like some of them are going to go and they're going to work in fast food and that's okay. We just have to set them up for um, success in whatever way that we can. And so I completely agree with you that like we have to do it for a way looking out towards the future. Um, It's kind of that same mindset you're saying, people saying uh, that they shouldn't pay school taxes because they don't have kids. And it's like, okay, but then, so why should we spend taxes on like NASA? You know, it's Mm. like, what are they doing to directly influence Mm. my life? And you're like, uh, you wouldn't be on a computer or on a telephone right now. Like you wouldn't have the internet, like, you know, like all these things. And so I think that there's oftentimes it's really hard to get like the messaging across to say like, this is how this really impacts you and you may not realize it. Okay. I mean, maybe it's uh, like what, you know, where you're teaching, it's a little bit younger than, uh, and it might not be an issue as much, but are they focused too much on get out and go to university and they're not talking about, I mean, you know, I like woodworking. I'm not, I'm, I'm not good at it by any means, but I like tinkering yeah. around and I, you know, I'll do little, little, very, very small, small things. Nothing major. Sure, but, sure. But, you know, like saying, okay, you know, this is an option. Like if you want to go into carpentry or you want to go into cabinet making, I mean, those are, I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with going into that. I, I don't know why there's such a, an aversion or why people think it's, 
it's lesser to go into a manual trade. Like it's. Yeah. So I agree with you where I'm at, um, is actually different because I'm, um, around, I live near a bunch of refineries. And so a a huge portion of the graduates around here will go into the oil field. Um, and, and that's kind of expected almost. So my area might be a little different. There doesn't seem to be near as much of a push, but I have seen that like in the media and, um, everywhere that it, there's so many schools pushing for university and pushing for university. But from where I'm at, um, we're kind of, um, you know, we're not very affluent, um, but we do have like a lot of um, the oil industry here, a lot of refineries. And so it's expected for a lot of students to, um, you know, take some classes in high school on carpentry or um, process operating or whatever it is, and then go to a little trade school and then get into the field and start working. Um, I, I agree with you that we should um, allow, it's kind of like what we were saying earlier, like, don't hire me just because I'm a girl, hire me because I'm good at my job. Like, mm-hmm. follow your passion, whatever that is. Like, it doesn't have to be business or law or education. Mm-hmm. It can be like you, like carpentry, it can be woodworking, it can be, um, you know, painting houses, it can be the oil field, it can be whatever it is. Just, I think the message that I love to get across is just do what you're passionate about and do what actually like gets you up in the morning, because then you're going to actually put more effort into it. And you're going to live a happier life. Like, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I know. I mean, but also like, I, I see this attitude. Okay, I went to university. (laughs) I went to university for political science and then public administration, then I ended up working in IT, so I didn't use my university skills. Yeah. But, but you know, you had all these people, it's like, oh, he's a mechanic, he's a grease monkey. It's like, okay, yeah, fine, you went to university, you know, you've got what, uh, you know, and it's not, I'm not trying to, like, I, I got political science, so I'm in the humanities as well, but, you know, you've got something in the humanities. He's a mechanic, like, he can take apart an engine, he can fix it, he can, you know, right. he knows how it works. There, There is some logic to there. There is, you, you can't be a moron and be a mechanic, right? Right. Well, uh, it reminds me of, like, Bill Nye, who always says, everyone knows something that you don't, you know? Yeah. So it's like, there no, like, I don't, I would, I actually, when I was a kid, I used to help take apart cars with my dad. So, <laughs> like, I, for at one point, I thought I would be a mechanic. Like, I was like, this is really cool. Like, I like it. My hands are in it. I'm yeah. doing something. Um, but yeah, no, I'm in complete agreement with you. Uh, no, I mean, like I, I find this attitude and it, it bugs me because yeah, you went to university and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to take anything away from going to university. I, right. I, I think any kind of education is valuable, you know, take right. it, but maybe, you know, our education system. And when I'm starting to, I kind of, sometimes I feel bad when I say things like, well, maybe our education system should do this. Cause it sounds like I'm saying, well, teachers aren't doing a good job or whatever it's, and I'm not trying to insinuate that at all. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, maybe the whole system should try to value like any kind of education or something. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and I think that that it really is dependent on location. Um, like I said, here it, it is valued if you go to a trade school mm-hmm. like that. That's not looked down upon. But I mean, I I hear what you're saying and I've seen it in the in the media as well. And the problem that really comes is whenever our universities are becoming really skewed, you know, that's obviously in the media a lot lately, or if you're looking in the right places, I guess. And so it's like, where, where do you go? You know, you just have to be very careful on exactly what you're doing and what you're studying and making sure that it's reputable. Um, Listen, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, Thank you very much. I just, I want to give you the last word. If there's stuff you want to talk about, if there's stuff coming up, you know, give people any kind of coordinates where if they want to, you know, 
the, the hashtags they can check out, websites they can go to, anything like that. Sure. Please. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and again, thank you for having me on. I've enjoyed the conversation. Um, so to find us, um, you can literally search the hashtag, uh, clear the list on social media and you'll find it. Um, supportateach.com is my website and there's a donate button there. It'll take you to um, one of our affiliate sites where you can donate um, if you'd like to, or you can donate straight to someone's list through that hashtag. Um, and it's, uh, it really is an awesome community. So if you're a teacher, like hop in, there is a hashtag clear the list Canada. So I know there's been, um, some traction there. Um, nothing like the U S but, um, all it takes is for some teachers to start inviting and that could blow up too. So, um, search that as well. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we just have to continue the conversation. Like I, I started the movement and I'm involved in the movement and, um, I'm not putting, I'm not laying to rest the issue that um, I'm trying to put my voice into places that are more effective, um, you know, with actual policymakers and legislators to actually bring change to this issue of schools being underfunded um, or at least teachers, you know, being underfunded and buying the supplies they need for their students. So, yeah, thank you. No, well, thank you very much for coming on. And I listen, if there's any at any point there, you have something going on and, you know, let me know. I will put it out on my social media, you know, it's not that I have a huge impact and you have an open invitation to come back here. If you want to talk about something, if something's going on, feel free and thank you again. And thank you everyone for listening.